What up, y'all? Welcome to Queer Walk, the podcast, the insurgent bi-weekly audio syllabus. I am Money, the menstruating mess. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Yikes. And who am Yikes. I? I am, I don't know. I'm still feeling like empty, Nikita. Oh, no. You can't be empty. I feel like it. I just think I've had too much time on my hands. Well, you're about to go back on the rig, so yeah. you think you'll be filled up when you come back? Oh, yeah. Probably a little too full. So so what you're trying to say is, like, being with the people who love you is not fulfilling, but being on the rig that is? That is 100% categorically what I am saying. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you ask me no ridiculous we, questions. We better like drop that. the intro before you get your ass beat. All, All right. right. <laughs> Love your chocolate demeanor and your cocoa kisses. I see your glow from a distance. Your vibe incite my submission. I give you all of me. Wanna make you proud of me. We see the God in all you do. Your light is harmony. Every type, darkest night, brightest light. I'm loving your soul. They hate you, replace you, take you, but know that you go. Worldwide from every continent. I just want you to jig a little bit. Move them hips, feel that bliss. Hug your sis, make a fist. Don't resist your temptation. You're amazing, no limitation. My favorite in this matrix. We move by your vibration, and that's love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby, you love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby, you love. I hope you hear that on a daily, cause baby, you love, you love. All right, so before we get into things here, we just want to give a warm and wonderful shout out and uplifting to uh, bisexual folks. Yes. Because I think by the time the episode drops, it'll still be, is it still... Because uh-huh. the week falls kind of weird. But yeah. anyway, the point remains, it is Bisexual Visibility and Awareness Week. So um, if you follow us on Instagram at QueerWalkPod, P-O-D, <laughs> you'll see we put up a post of the illustrious and the wonderful and the hilarious. None other than Margaret Cho, who is an out and proud a bisexual a comedian. Just politically astute, hilarious, and um, a baddie, if I do say so myself. So um, one of the things that I appreciated um, uh, that she said in an interview that we quoted in our post is that like how hard it is, even now, for like people to get a grasp on like the identity of bisexuality. Mm-hmm. People often think that you know people who identify as bi are either lying to themselves or like lying to others. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's kind of the whole point. Not kind of, that is like one of the big reasons for like bisexual visibility awareness week because yeah. it's like, no, people aren't confused. They know exactly um, who they are. So we just wanted to give um, a warm hug and a queer walk, some queer walk love to yeah. all the bisexual folks out there. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, also, speaking of like visibility, we want to uplift. All the Latino, Latina, and Latinx folks who are listening to this and just shout y'all out during Latinx Heritage Month. Um, so I know the month starts like September 15th and ends October 15th. Is that's that right? right. That's yeah. right. So it's like um, halfway through the month. And um, in order to celebrate, if you're looking for ways of like, oh, what can I do for Latinx Heritage Month? 
um, we have a suggestion. You should check out our homies and baddie brigade members, Lena and and Stephanie. They have an amazing podcast. Amazing. If you haven't heard, called the Bag Ladies Podcast. You can follow them at bag underscore ladies. With a Um, Z. With a Z. Right, right, right. And just a little, you know, synopsis, if you haven't heard, which I don't understand. I don't understand what you've been doing if you haven't, because we talk about them all the time. But (laughs) um, the bag ladies are two Bronx Dominicanas, Afro-Latinas, who are trying to be better and make you better, too. So you can listen to their podcast as they try to get rid of their baggage and help you unload some of yours. Um, And so, yeah. Shout out to the homies and happy Latinx Heritage Month. Absolutely. All right, Nikita. Do you want to tell folks where they can find us? You know, this is like... One of the things I enjoy most. I love telling people where they can find us. So, you can find us on Instagram and on Twitter where our handle is at QueerWalkPod. That's P-O-D. You can also find us on the Book of Faces, also known as Facebook. Facebook.com slash QueerWalkPod, P-O-D again. And you can find us on Tumblr where this whole shebang began. That is QueerWalk.com. And where they can, where can they listen? Oh, I was going to say before where they can listen. Oh. There's another place that you can find us. Oh, where? You can find us in a, in a more personal capacity. Oh. Okay. In our email, in our inbox. So if you want to write something a little bit more personal, something a little bit more private, something longer in length, something maybe a little girthier, you can shoot that right <laughs> onto our Gmail, which is queerwalkpod, P-O-D, at gmail.com. You can send us your Curve Chronicles, which is a dating woe or win. Send us an idea for a topic or anything that you've got on your mind and you don't want to be restrained. Shoot that right on again to our Gmail, QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. Right, right, right. So listen? Yes. (laughs) You can listen to this here insurgent bi-weekly audio syllabus on Pocket Cast, CastBox, Stitcher, SoundCloud and on all the other major (laughs) pretty much. Yeah. All right, money. I've just Mm -hmm. told people where they can find us. You did. And once they find us, we want people to be able to contribute and participate in this here community. Mm -hmm. So money, can you tell the listeners how they can do that? Sure. Um, so me and Nikita are like the curators of the queer walk community. Uh, but you all make it happen. And so I'm going to tell you two ways that you can continue to make it happen. So the first way is by supporting us with your money. Um, We have a cash app. You can drop like a one-time donation, no matter how small or how large, at dollar sign queer walk pod, P-O-D. Or if you would like to become a sustainer of this here program and help keep the mics on at queer walk, um, actually the two mics, (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) you can head over to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash queerwalkpod, P-O-D. And Patreon is just a monthly way to sustain us monetarily. Um, It really helps with the overhead costs of podcasting because podcasting is not free. Um, And you get uh, some exclusive perks. Exclusive. Yeah, so I've been doing the monthly Patreon um, playlist, but we definitely want to have more stuff coming because um, we're getting like a pretty good number of you all over on the Patreon. So we definitely want to make it 
worth it. So if you want to see the perks that are already there and are excited about what's to come, go ahead and become a patron at patreon.com slash quitwalkpod. Now, you might be saying, but money, I'm broke, just like you. That is okay. You can (laughs) contribute in other ways. The other way that you can contribute, which is just as meaningful as giving us your coin, is by loving us out loud and doing the R's. Rate us, review us, request a topic, repost us when we, like, post the episode, retweet us, um, reply to us by using the hashtag QueerWalkPod, P-O-D, or hashtag QueerWalk um, to talk all things to podcasts, to let us know, like, what you think of the mental moment, of the word, uh, of the topic that, you know, we scraped the barrel <laughs> to wow, come name. up with. Um, yeah, so use that hashtag, QueerWalk or QueerWalkPod. Send us an email to submit your Curve Chronicles or to suggest a Queer Walk of the Week or Queer Pock of the Week at QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. All of these things are just as meaningful in supporting and furthering Queer Walk the podcast. That was nice. You know, I've been practicing. Okay, well, that's strange. <laughs> so, moving right <laughs> on along, Sorry, we do me. have some announcements for you all. So, it just feels like, I don't know, it just feels like there's something percolating here, upstate. This is the summer of upstate, okay? This is like, yeah. 2019 like, is, yeah, this is our be year. Queer Park. It's like Queer Park summer here, upstate. Mm-hmm. So, I say all that to say, uh, the homies... Real Queer Park shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, we I'm downstate, upstate, but we upstate, too. <laughs> yeah, we downstate, but we upstate, too. <laughs> okay. Anyway, the homies over at... Come uh, upstate the- to get a new view. Okay. Ah. Are you... Are you done, Megan? Money the Stallion. Are you ready? <laughs> Bitch, I'm gonna say that I got these niggas wishing. <laughs> <laughs> Money, please. <laughs> Can I get to this announcement or no? Go ahead, go ahead. Okay, so as I've been trying to say before I was rudely interrupted uh, by Money the Stallion, (laughs) the homies over in Ithaca with the Kinfolk Collective are doing an amazing Kinfolk Festival in Ithaca, New York, Saturday, October 5th. What in the hell is the Kinfolk Festival? I'm going to tell you. So it's a festival that's going to feature film, art, and a mental health uh, day-long fest. For queer and trans folks of color. So there's going to be different workshops covering things all the way from allyship to mental health. And again, screenings of short films by queer and trans people of color. Oh my God. And you know, we're nerds over here. So there's also going to be a book fair. There's going to be an art gallery. I'm most excited about the book fair. (laughs) Right. It's like, we don't even need to buy any more books. I really don't. And yet. Anyway, so you can find out more at kinfolk.com. That is Q-I-N. F-O-L-K dot com. And so if you're ex- excited about this, as we are, you can purchase your tickets. They start at $15 and they go up to $30. And so we have a link to the Eventbrite. So be sure to get your tickets to the Kinfolk Festival ASAP. And um, I'm going to be away. I wish I could make it. But other folks I'm should. Gonna be there. Money's going to be there. Yep. So go Say hi and go see uh, the brawlette baddie herself, uh, Money, <laughs> and go visit the homies over in Ithaca. I'm so excited about this, the Kinfolk Festival. Um, just so y'all know, uh, so we have the Eventbrite link in the description. 
Um, but the $15 tickets do give you admission to, like, all the day-long events. Okay. The other, um, the other tickets that cost more is just for, like, if you want to go to the party. Yeah. At night. And, um, there's, like, another event that I can't remember off the top of my head. But, like, yeah. So, you can go to all the things with the $15 ticket. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But I might be extra and get a $30 ticket, you know, and kind of hit a, um, wardrobe change in the middle of the day. You wouldn't be money <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> All right. right. The second announcement we have is from the downstate homies and also from the Batty Brigade. Yeah. You know, the the we don't The Batty Brigade is, is busy booked and busy. Absolutely. Yes, that's you know, extra bees. So the homies over at Inner Ho Uprising. Hey hoes, we love y'all. They are having their Sex Trivia Sundays October 6th at 5 p.m. at Love Story Bar, which is in Brooklyn and Queens. It's like on the border. It's sponsored by Babe Land. And if you like trivia, drinking, talking about sex, fun, and winning free shit, I love then you should <laughs> you should definitely be there. Um, the hosts just have really great events, y'all. It's so much fun. And they always have drink specials at Sex Trivia. Um, they have a sex specialist who's there who can mm. answer all your like technicality questions. Right. Um, I heard they have demonstrations. Ooh. I need to make it to a yeah, sex trivia. Absolutely. Uh, they twerk between rounds. I've, I've seen the Instagram evidence. <laughs> and the music is bomb. This is a free event. It's free 99 All that for free? Yes. But you do have to RSVP. So we have the RSVP link in um, the description for this episode. Or you can head over to the hoes at Inner Ho Uprising um, to RSVP. But yeah, really excited about Sex Trivia. I wish I could make it downstate yeah. to go. Tell them Queer Walk sent you. I know, right? Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> wow, that, that, okay. Moving right along. <laughs> All right, Nikita, are you ready to move it on along to the Queer, queer Walk, Queer Walk, Queer, queer walk, walk of the, the Week segment? Yes, I am. All right, so can you tell the folks listening what the Queer Walk of the Week segment is. So the Queer Walk or Queer Pock of the Week is just a segment where we celebrate, highlight, or amplify a queer woman of color or a queer person of color who's just out here fucking it up, doing the damn thing, and is just, you know, just a living legend. An mm-hmm. icon living, as money might say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So regale us with who's going to be the Queer Walk of the Week this week. Don't mind if I do. All right, y'all. I know it sounds like we're recording in a goddamn garage. but like we're recording in a hurricane. <laughs> what the fuck? All right, so Queer Walk of the Week this week is Canadian YouTube star and comedian Lily Singh. And I think a bunch of folks have probably heard about her in the last week. So we're going to tell y'all a little bit about why she's Queer Walk of the Week. First of all, this episode is dropping on her birthday. So happy birthday, Lily. Is she um, a Virgo? No, oh. Libra. Sorry. Whoops. <laughs> I was I just about to say, too. Shout out to Libra Gang. Whoops. Um, this is also my baby sister's birthday. So, Aww. hey, Nunu. Happy birthday. All right. So, Lily. I'm going to tell you. I'll tell you a little bit about her. So, she's a 30-year-old from Toronto. And she just has so much to celebrate this birthday. Oh, my gosh. So, not only is she the queen of monochromatic pantsuits, like the looks that she be serving, iconic, um, but she's also a first-generation Canadian. Her family's from India. 
Um, and she just has a lot of accomplishments already before the one that like folks have, may have heard of this week. So I'm just going to tell us a little bit about her. So first of all, Forbes ranked uh, Lily number one highest paid YouTuber for 2019. Um, and her YouTube channel, which y'all probably know because she's, <laughs> she's the highest paid YouTuber. But for folks who, don't, who aren't familiar with Lily's work. Um, her YouTube channel, I don't know how it's pronounced, but it's like Superwoman and two eyes on each side. Right. So it's like I, I, Superwoman, I, I. That's her YouTube channel. In eight years, she's amassed over 15 million subscribers. Um, I just looked, a video she posted four days ago had 9 million views. Oh my goodness. So like, <laughs> YouTube who? Like, she right. is, she's dominating the platform. Um, and that's how she made a name for herself. And I just like to say that I think that's amazing. For a brown woman to do because yeah. these uh like white boys who stream videos have they, like yeah they just stream like god knows what yeah be like ron and, walks outside of the house today <laughs> and have like gazillions yeah. of billions of views and so for her to be ranked forbes number one highest paid youtuber it's just like you go girl um you better work that capitalism um so her youtube channel has had guests like the rock Amber Rose, um, and that white dude who plays the voice of Pumbaa. I don't I can't know who that is. I never name. saw him. Oh I gosh, seen that one. I knew I should have took this out, but I just know he's like everybody's like, oh him, but I couldn't remember. Is it his Seth name. Rogen? Oh yes, Seth Rogen. Okay, mm-hmm. Pumbaa. <laughs> um, and like her, her YouTube is like skits. And like funny little uh, videos, okay. um, and so that's that's the kind of content she posts. And so after her success on YouTube, she released her first book called "How to Be a Boss: A Guide to Conquering Life." Um, and that book actually won Goodreads Choice Awards for Best Nonfiction in oh. 2017. Interesting. And so that brings us to her most recent accomplishment. Last Monday, uh, her late night show, A Little Late with Lily Singh, debuted on NBC at 1.30 in the morning. 1.30 this, in the morning? Yeah, it's a late night show. That's late, late. Oh, gosh, Nikita. Some of us are not 65 I years old, okay? I don't know that life. <laughs> um, so, this time slot was previously occupied by Last Call with Carson Daly. So, she her show replaced that show okay. on NBC. Um, she Singh is currently the only woman of color with a late night show on a major network, and she's the first bisexual woman of color to host one. Okay. So you know, during Bi Visibility Week, right? Thought this was epic. Also, she's the youngest person ever to host a late night show oh, at wow. thirty years old. Huh? Huh? Yeah. All right, Lily. So I wanted to address some of the like dust up that happened when um her show premiered because um. There was some Twitter clapback because a lot of the outlets covering the debut of her late night show said that she was the first woman of color to ever have a late night show. I wanted to clear it up because she didn't pull a Rebel Wilson and claim that she was the first woman of color. Um, the outlets covering it just didn't didn't do their homework, didn't do basically. Their research. Yeah. Um, so Out Magazine, which they've been killing it um, lately anyway, but they did a really like thorough and comprehensive um, highlight on Lily Singh, and it also talks about the other women who kind of paved the way for her to be in this spot. Um, so I just wanted to clear a little bit of that up, okay? So uh, the outlets covering her said that she was the first woman of color to have a late night show. This is not 
True. Um, Wanda Sykes, who's uh, actually out proud lesbian, yeah. um, had a late night show on Fox that ran for one season. And, um, you know, legendary, iconic Monique also had a late night show on BET that ran for several seasons. Um, but nevertheless, I think this is a huge accomplishment um, because, one, she's the youngest person to ever have a late night show. Um, this this just does a lot for, like, uh, bisexual visibility mm-hmm. and also mm-hmm. queer Asian visibility. Absolutely. Um, I know she made a joke at, at the beginning of the uh, the premiere that people have been calling her a bisexual woman of color so much in the last week that she should just change her name to bisexual woman of color. <laughs> um, but I think that speaks to, like, representation, right? Like, yeah. um, late night shows are notoriously old, white, and dude. Yep. So um, for her to be in this space is just, like, uh, representation that a lot of folks need. Brown folks, uh, queer folks, you know, women. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, um, shout out to Lily. And you can catch her show weeknights every um, every night at 1.30 in the morning on NBC. <laughs> Ooh, I'm going to have to catch that on the... I'm going to have to catch the recap well, during because- the day. Because her roots are on YouTube, she actually posted the first episode on her channel. Oh, so okay. maybe you can just catch the YouTube replays. Say, I can't be up at no damn one thirty trying to watch no late night show. But, con- <laughs> but congratulations nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> so shout out to Lily and happy birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> Libra season. Ooh. All right, Nikita. You want to move it all along to community contributors. Yeah. Okay, (laughs) that's enough out of you. Okay, can you just uh, let us know real quick what the Community Contributor segment is? Yes, so the Community Contributor segment is a segment, just as the name suggests, where we get to hear from you all. Like we always say, Money and I are the co-hosts, but we could not do this without you all. So we love to get... Um, y'all's feedback we love to read the reviews and other little trinkets that you all send us and we'll get to it in a second but this is also a segment where we shout out we do small town shout outs Mm -hmm. because not everybody lives in san francisco oakland dc or new york city Mm -hmm. all right so without further ado can i take it away oh i was gonna do it so yes so take it away and take away my joy go for it (laughs) money uh you can do the reviews all right, so we want to send a huge shout out to SJ, who became a new patron. Thank you, SJ. Thank you, SJ, for becoming a monthly sustainer of this here program. And the small town shout outs, which is my favorite. And I think we learned on the last episode that this doesn't necessarily mean you have to be a small town. It just has to mean that my sense of geography sucks and I never heard of where you live. So. Um, but that was too long of a title for um, <laughs> the uh, a little mini segment. <laughs> so this week, in our top ten, Waukegan, Illinois, mm-hmm. is that how you pronounce that? that? Yeah, Waukegan, Waukegan, Waukegan. I don't know. That that looks like Waukegan to me. Waukegan, let's go with that. Waukegan, Illinois. Albany, New York, which I know Albany is the capital of New York. I know that. Did you know that? I did know that. Okay. Did you? I knew. For real? It's just upstate. Shout out to upstate. And we've never seen Albany in our top 10. You know, we absolutely have not. That's a good point. Yeah. So shout out to Albany. And Bound Brook, New Jersey. You just had to do an alliterative. You probably (laughs) single-handedly... 
finesse <laughs> this one. Shout out to Bound Brook. Bound Brook. <laughs> Alrighty. Yes. So those are our small town shout outs. We thank you for listening and encourage you to keep listening. Put some more people on. Stay in the top 10. Ow. So you want to do the new reviews? Yes. So we have two reviews from one from Unrelaxed Missy and the other from Carlita Cookie. I'm going to start with Unrelaxed Missy. Unrelaxed says, y'all get me through. I appreciate Queer Walk so much for all the work, fun, self-care and folly. I've been listening for at least three years, and I just recently became an Apple user and had to do my due diligence. <laughs> I love the back and forth between the co-hosts and the jingles Nikita comes up with for the mental moment with money. Money's voice is so bubbly and infectious, and as a listener, I feel the frustrations of being in a city that lacks color and queer community and dating wins for the most part. I appreciate all of the work y'all do, friends. Nikita's activism and stewardship is the whole truth and nothing less. Okay. I just, I had to get that in there. Uh-huh. The claps. <laughs> thank you both. No, thank you so much, Missy. Unrelaxed, Missy. Mm-hmm. We really appreciate that. And then we're going to move it on along to Carlita Cookie. That sounds nasty. Does it? Maybe. I'm it just kidding. sounds like a dessert to me. Oh. Anyway. Okay. Fuck you, Nikita. <laughs> uh, okay. Carlita says, love Queer Walk and the whole BBB. Exclamation point. Five star review, too. Yeah. Yeah. The Short, whole BBB. sweet, but accurate. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Carlita. And if some of y'all are like, what is the BBB? If this might, you might be new to Queer Walk. So the BBB is just our group of fantastic uh, black baddies. In this podcasting world. That's right. Um, so, those podcasts consist of Marsha's Plate, Inner Hole Uprising, Bag Ladies, Tea with Queen and Jay, and yours truly. So, that's the BBB. That is. It is the mental moment with money. Oh my god, that sounds like a horror movie screaming, not excitement. Oh, well, the, well, let the record show that it was excitement. Okay. Well, that's, act- that's actually the kind of, that's the internal scream that I usually do on the inside when you snatch my uh, edges off when you do the mental moment. With I don't Yes, it. you do. Okay. So I just needed to get it out at the beginning. So <laughs> this is my personal favorite segment, and the mental moment with money is where our resident limited licensed mental health professional, Martinique, gives <laughs> us some sort of insight, some kind of tidbit into something pertaining to wellness and mental health. So, mm-hmm. without further ado, money, take it away. What's the mental moment this week? All right. So, I first want to uh, apologize for um, ending as many friendships as I did with the last mental moment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, I, that wasn't my intention. I really just was thinking about how we are in these, like, really small communities as queer folks of color, and we can't, like, afford to just be throwing each other away. And so, how do you end a friendship, like, amicably? Um, <laughs> but then I saw so many people tweeting, and, and people actually texted me, like, so bitch. <laughs> like, after doing this friendship cut, assessment. Cut, cut. <laughs> um... But I do think it's help- helpful, and I want us to have 
the most healthy relationships in all capacities in our life. So, yeah, I hope it was helpful. Um, You all should catch the last episode where I talked about uh, friendships and how to, you know, more healthily end one. Snip. Cut. Okay, Nikita. So, building off of that, I wanted to kind of, like, follow up this week with accountability. So, my mental moment this week is how. Like, how do you take accountability, right? And I'm going to uh, be extra alliterative because this mental moment with money is inspired by Mia Mingus. Wow, you just really... So, it's a Mia Mingus mental moment with money. (laughs) You're really out of control. You know, I love my alliteration. You do. Um, so folks who uh, might not be familiar with Mia Mingus's work. Um, so Mia Mingus is a queer, physically disabled Korean writer, educator, and community organizer for disability justice and also for transformative justice. So I think it connects really well, like why. Um, their Instagram post inspired uh, this accountability moment. So... Like I said, last episode, uh, like, we often, like, we just can't afford to, like, throw each other away when harm happens. So, um, I really wanted to, like, break down accountability. Accountability has kind of, like, almost become a buzzword where people say you need to be accountable, you need to be accountable. Um, Especially in social justice spaces. But we, we really don't stop and talk about, like, what it means and how we do work towards it, both as a community and individually. Right? Mm-hmm. So, I didn't know this, but thanks to following me, Amingus, on Instagram, I discovered that the Barnard Center for Research on Women, um, which they do phenomenal and incredible work anyway, uh, but this specifically, they created a series of four really short videos. Um, I'll put the link in the description for this episode. And they, so what they did was they made this series of four videos with anti-violence activists, uh, Kiyomi Fujikawa and Shannon Perez Darby. Um, and it, it, the series just explores like what it looks like to be accountable without exiling or like disposing of those who do the harm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important for us who have any kind of marginalized identity, but especially when you have multiple marginalized identities, like even if you cancel somebody or throw somebody away, you still going to see them at the next event. So, yeah. <laughs> so you know, how do we do this in a way where our communities don't become spaces we can't be in? So, going off of that, I have the four components of accountability. Um, and so, in Mia's Instagram post, she highlighted that these are actually Miriam Kaba's four components. Um and Nikita is shaking her head in um, in admiration because yeah. Miriam Kaba is one of her favorite organizers. Just, just one of the, the sharpest, most thoughtful like people on the face of the planet. She's she's social justice drooling. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So I I wanted to talk about those four components and give y'all sort of my suggestions for how to do each of those components of accountability. All right. Um, So before I get into it, I just want to read Mia Mingus's quote. So Mia says, true accountability is not only apologizing, understanding the impact your actions have caused on yourself and others, making amends or reparations to the harmed parties. But most importantly, true accountability is changing your behavior so that the harm, violence, abuse, etc. does not happen again. 
I'm going to go ahead and get into it. So the four components of accountability. The first component is self-reflection. And um, so I'm I'm just going to give y'all some suggestions on how to do this self-reflection. So when we're talking about accountability, we're talking about some harm has happened. Uh, and I'm going to speak about this as if, like, you've done it and how you can, like, repair that harm, right? So the first is self-reflection. Recognize that there was a wrong that happened, right? That's the first step. Um, don't be in denial about it. Um, recognize that a wrong happened, that some harm was caused, uh, and then really start to be specific about what it is that you did. What did you do? What brought you to that place to do that? What brought it up for you, you know? And so what made me think about this part is a lot of times, like, abusive behaviors are modeled for us. Yeah. And, like, we don't know another way of being. Absolutely. Um, and so, so is that true for you? Like, what was this behavior modeled um, how can you break that model? Like, what are healthy ways of being um, towards somebody that isn't isn't this? Um, how do you recognize that this is not an okay way to be, you know? And in what ways do you need to heal from having that model for you? So this is all like an internal self-reflection process before you even talk to anybody about anything, right? Just sit with yourself. The second component is an apology, So, um, all right, I'm going to break down an apology because some folks really don't know how to apologize, all right? (laughs) And so, um, first of all, you might need to apologize more than once. Remember, apologizing is not about you. It's about the person or people that you harmed or hurt. Um, And so, if they need to hear that multiple times, you know, um, harm is on scales, Yeah. right? So, sometimes... You might need to apologize to that person, but then you might need to apologize to, like, the group that y'all are a part of. You might need to do a public apology, depending on how big this harm was, you know. So, the the apology is not about you. So, just remember that if you have to apologize more than once. So, the steps to apologizing. I I wanted to outline this because just from having a couple sessions, I realized that a lot of folks don't know how to apologize. State why you want to apologize. I am apologizing because start start with you <laughs> like what harm you caused in your self reflection that you came to of why you're apologizing. The second step to an apology state what specifically you did to cause harm like be concrete about it because this shows the person that you recognize what you did right so you thought about it you did self reflection. The third part of an apology state what you're doing to ensure that this won't happen again. So don't just be like, you know, I'm I'm sorry that I hurt your feelings. You know, what what are you willing to do to make sure that that won't happen again? And then the final step of an apology should be to ask the person if they need anything from you. Mm-hmm. They might need to not talk to you for yeah, a little while. Yeah, yeah. So they might space. need you to not come to that party mm-hmm. that you were planning on going to. Yeah. Um, be open and willing to hearing what they need from you um, as you apologize. All right. So we got that. Like, the first part of apologizing is stating why you want to apologize. Then state specifically what you did to cause harm. Then state what you're doing to ensure that that harm won't happen again. And then ask them what they need from you. Okay? The fourth component of accountability, as outlined by Miriam Kaba via um, Mia Mingus, is repair. So, I define repair by, like, taking action, right? Because uh, apology is sort of like the word and the emotional piece. Repair is the behavioral piece. Follow through on whatever the person said they needed from you when you apologized. 
restore things if it's possible. Um, so, like, for example, if you stole something from somebody, like, replace it, you yeah. know? <laughs> um, if that's the harm that was caused, replace it. Um, if it's possible to restore something um, because of the harm that you created, do that. Read. So, I have two suggestions for books if you're in the repair stage of um, taking accountability. So, the first one is actually a book by Mariam Kaba and um, Shira Hassan, and it's called Fumbling Towards Repair. It's a workbook, actually, and I just realized that it's, it's like, sold out. Yeah. So, um, you might not be able to get a copy, but if you know any place or anyone who has a copy, it's a really um, incredible workbook to help you learn about accountability and not just on a personal level, again, but also what accountability looks like in community um, and when we're trying to create safer spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, And the second book I'm going to suggest is Care Work, and it's by one of my favorite authors, Leah Lakshmi. Um, And in this book, so in this book, she talks uh, broadly about, like, disability justice and what it it would mean for us to, like, fundamentally have a world where we care about each other. Mm -hmm. But specifically, I'm suggesting this book, I think it's the second chapter, but it's about emotional intelligence and... um, like, obviously, with a disability, um, Ben, because Leah Lakshmi is a disability rights activist. But I think a lot of times we cause harm because we don't really understand emotional intelligence. Um, and that's not our fault. So, you know, we we inherited ways of being from folks who were just trying to survive, mm-hmm. right? So, um, a lot of times you find out that something is, like, harmful to someone. You're like, oh, shit, I didn't even know that because this is just the way we've done it. Um, This is the way my family does it. Mm -hmm. This is the way Mm -hmm. I've done it in relationship after relationship. Uh, So this book is just, like, really clear. And also, like, not... How do I say this? Like, it doesn't beat up on you for not knowing. Sure, sure, So, um, yeah. So check out that one about emotional intelligence. Can I suggest another website? Sure. So there's a website uh, that was curated uh, by... Miriam Kaba called transformharm.org. And there's like a whole bunch of different resources about community accountability um, processes, about restorative justice, about transformative justice, about like prison abolition. And so it's like there's different articles and resources and a number of things um, on that website that I think are extremely, extremely helpful. Thank you for bringing that up because I'm talking about accountability on, I guess, like the interpersonal mm-hmm. level. But this can also be applied to like a prison abolitionist lens, True, right? Like, absolutely. like what what does actual repair look like when a harm is done? Mm-hmm. Yeah, outside of the the carceral police, right, 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 apparatus. right. Instead sure. of throwing people in cages, mm-hmm. like what can we actually mm-hmm. do? Right. Um. So the final component of taking accountability is changed behavior. You know. Don't do it again. <laughs> like, that's the biggest thing you can do to repair an ha- a harm. Um, and I think that's, like, really easy to say. It's like, sure, um, don't do it again. Um, but I really want to talk about, like, how to not do it again, right? How to change your behavior. Um, and I'm going to take a really behaviorist approach to this. But um, <laughs> you have to do this by, like, changing the things that enable the behavior in the first place. Uh, build you a support network that ensures you won't do it again. 
Yes. And this is, I, I really want to highlight that this is your responsibility, right? So a lot of times people be like, well, how am I supposed to know? And ain't nobody trying to help. <laughs> You're the one who caused the harm, right? So it is on you to be accountable. You have accountability check-ins. You have a, an yeah. accountability yeah. buddy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you can set up, you know, weekly coffee dates with somebody to be like, okay, this is what I've been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen people... In, like, communities who where they've caused, like, harm in the community who, like, will literally give an update in yes. the, like, meetings yeah. of, like, yeah. this is what I've been doing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Find a mental health support person. And so I didn't want to, like, just be like, get you a therapist. Um, it doesn't have to be a therapist. But just somebody who has some training around, like, mental health stuff. Um, a lot of times when you're in that self-reflection stage of accountability, a lot of things might come up for you that are like activating or triggering. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you want to be talking to somebody who's trained to do that stuff and go there with you. Um, and also don't put it on the group or the person that you're trying to be accountable to to do that with you. Have good friends who will call you out and in to be like, yeah, that was kind of fucked up. Um, here's what you could do. Maybe mm-hmm. have you tried this? Yep. Um, it's so important to have good friends, you know, yeah. which is why I did my last mental moment. Find ways to mark your progress. I think you you have to remain encouraged around this because it's so easy to go to that like self-defeating and self-punishing yeah, uh, yeah. place of like, I'm a shitty person. I'm a horrible yeah. person. Nobody ever wants to be around me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, we don't need you there. We need you to be getting better. I was about to say, because that doesn't actually do anything to change your behavior. Exactly. Or do anything different. Exactly. Um, we, we don't want you in that place. So find ways to feel successful in your accountability journey. Mm-hmm. Whether that's like, I've gone three days without calling somebody an ableist slur. Or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. it is that um, you have to do uh, to feel encouraged that you can change this behavior. Do that. And chemical dependency therapy, we used to always do uh, people, places, and things. Like, you have to change the environment that allowed you to cause harm in the first place. Um, And so, change that. If you have, like, friends who are actively engaged in the same kind of shit that got you in this uh, Mm -hmm. place in the first place, then maybe think about, like, changing the folks you're around. If you frequent places where this harm is, like, the normal Mm -hmm. culture... Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, maybe don't be going to them places as much. Right. Um, and what kind of things do you like have and do that allow you to be um, in that kind of behavior? Right. Yeah. So like switching those things out, like finding new hobbies. I'm going to run it down again. The four components of accountability. The first self-reflection. The second an apology. The third repair. And the fourth, changed behavior. Mm -hmm. So I hope this, like, helps. Um, Maybe it'll help some folks who feels like they had to, like, cut off or get rid of uh, friends. Maybe if they go through these accountability processes with you, uh, there is something left to that friendship to salvage. So... Just, uh, just kind of a the last, just one thing I would like to add is that one of the things I've seen Miriam Kava tweet before that I think is really helpful is that it's important to learn how to be accountable Mm -hmm. for like this, for like arguably what we would consider to be small things. Yeah. Because it's like once, because I mean, I think especially, you know, living in the midst or the wake of like the Me Too movement, I think we are, you know, one of the things that, you know, I think organizations and individuals and people are thinking a lot about is like, you know, sexual abuse and sexual violence, Mm -hmm, but it's mm -hmm. like, 
people are not going to be um, accountable when they commit those kinds of particularly egregious abuses, if there's no kind of culture of even being accountable for, for smaller small things. things. Yeah. So it's like, if you're like, I mean, this, you know, this is something I should be accountable for. But it's like, if you're like always like late to something, it's like, mm-hmm. if you can't, if you can't be accountable, um, like in that regard, mm-hmm. you know, around like not being considerate of people's time or like other seemingly like small infractions yeah. that what makes you think, that once you know, if you do um, something again far more egregious, what what practice would you have had in being accountable? Agreed, Nikita. And I mean, I see this the same way when I think about therapy. It's like uh, couples often want to do accountability work when something big like uh, infidelity. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. happens, but it happens in the small ways too of like, we each had these duties and like, you didn't fulfill your end of it. Yeah, right. So absolutely. it's not just when the big explosions happen in relationships that we need to be accountable to one, each, one another. Yeah. But if you were supposed to pick up the baby from school and you didn't right. like, like, or that. like housework, cause you always exactly. say that you're going to do, yep. you know, help with chores and you never do. Exactly. You, you know? been saying you was going to change that light bulb for three weeks. Right. <laughs> And now we sit in the motherfucking dark still. Still. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's not just the big things, it's yeah. the small things too. Cause it, you're right. It um what is it? The process, the cognitive process is called scaffolding, right? Mm-hmm. Like so if you if you learn it at a at a very uh easy, small level, you right. can do it at the bigger level. Right, absolutely. Yeah. And hopefully it'll prevent the bigger blow. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, so that's my mental moment. Tell me what you think about being accountable and if it can save some of those friendships you may have ended uh, using the hashtag QueerWOCPod, P-O-D. That's right. Thank you so much, Money. That This is such a timely, it was such a timely um, mental moment. So I really, really, really appreciate that. You're welcome. You know, I'll be trying. You don't be trying. You be doing. You Keep be my folks together and in order. <laughs> ding, ding. And now, our bi-weekly word from our wondrous, womanist, worker, wordsmith, wizard, Nikita. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Went back to the big timers on y'all. All right. So, I'm going to tell y'all what the word segment is. So, the word is where Nikita, with all of her grassroots organizing skill, um, scholarship, and prowess breaks down some social justice jargon that we maybe have heard but don't really know what's going on. Um, Or she links something that's happening to queer folks of color as a community and why it should be on our radar and why we should care about it. And we thank you for your service. So... (laughs) Should I salute? What's going on here? <laughs> so, Nikita, you want to tell us what the word is? Yeah, so um, a lot of folks probably have seen, but there was um, a climate strike, a big climate action that happened all across uh, the world, all across the globe. All right, so last uh, Friday, by the time you all hear this new episode, it'll be last Friday, September 20th, 
there was a huge, again, worldwide mobilization, uh, especially it was led by young folks around, again, around the world, uh, trying to get world leaders and like corporations to actually take meaningful action around the impending climate disaster mm -hmm. um, that we're all facing. So uh, the estimates that I saw that there was about 4 million different people uh, across like 150 or 160 different countries throughout the world, including uh, in South Africa, Afghanistan, El Salvador, China. Damn. And uh, so, yeah, it's like really uh, worldwide and global. Um, and so a lot of folks have probably heard or um, have heard the name or have seen uh, the young 16-year-old uh Swedish girl and environmental activist from Sweden. Uh, her name is Greta Thunberg. And um, so th she's also autistic. And I think that that's really important. Mm -hmm, so you've got mm -hmm. this young autistic 16 year old. Yes. Um, who has been uh, a really prominent um, young leader in pushing, again, these uh, global leaders to actually take some kind of action on climate disaster and climate change. And so, um, the reason why they chose um, this past Friday on September 20th is because um, on Monday, September 23rd, um, there's going to be this big UN summit on climate change. So mm. it was a strategic date that they chose. Just a little bit about um, Greta Thunberg. So again, she's from uh, Sweden. And so it was back in August of last year, she was doing these things called Fridays for Future. Mm -hmm. And so, again, the Friday date, that, uh, that there's also some, like, significance there. So, anyway, these hashtag Fridays for Future uh, is what kind of Greta started back in August in, um, in Sweden. And so, for about three weeks, she sat in front of the Swedish parliament every school day for three weeks to protest, again, the lack of action on um, the climate crisis. And so she started to post what she was doing on Instagram and on Twitter and like, you know, it went viral. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important, um, you know, to highlight her and, you know, to give her her flowers now while she's alive, of course. And so, again, it's so, of course, like young people are animated um, around this issue because it's like it's their futures, you know, that are at stake, right? Yeah. They have a real stake. Right, right. Um, in making sure that, you know, the earth isn't totally incinerated. Um, but with that said, um, you know, a lot of folks have rightfully um, wanted to, like, uplift, um, you know, like, young people of color who've mm -hmm. been um, active in, like, environmentalism and environmental justice mm -hmm. and, like, talking about these things because it's like, we know that there's, like, this idea, this perception that caring about the environment in particular kind of ways, right, it's just kind of a white thing, right? So it's like... Given the fact that, uh, to use, like, some language that, like, people of color, um, you know, folks in the global south, mm -hmm. um, you know, women are, like, on the front lines. Yeah. Are, like, people who are going to be, like, disproportionately impacted. Exactly. By these things. Right, so, it's like, right. I want to be able, you know, I, again, I think it's important to shout out Greta, but I also just wanted to take a little bit of time to kind of highlight the young people of color who were, like, who've been active. Mm -hmm. Um, in the actions on Friday and just like a little bit, um, like even like prior to this. Like Ilhan Omar's daughter. Shut up! Yeah. You're stealing my thunder. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> Let me shut my hands up. All right. So I was actually going to say that last. Um, so 
Her name is Isra Hersey, and she's 16 years old. Um, like Money said, this is Ilhan Omar's daughter, and like the fruit, the radical fruit really don't fall <laughs> far from that radical ass tree. <laughs> and so she actually, um, there, I'll link to it. Um, Vice did like a piece on her in the lead up to the actions on the 20th. And so, um, again, she's only 16, uh, but one of like her first actions that she engaged in was, uh, with her mom and with the rest of her family was when they went to the Mall of America in Minnesota and they shut it down because there was a young black man, Jamar Clark, who was shot and killed by two police officers in mm. Minneapolis in 2015. Mm. And so, and then of course, shortly after you have the Parkland shooting. And so like, those were the issues that she was saying, you know, that she felt like she felt most viscerally about. Mm. Those were the issues that she started to like, she like cut her teeth in organizing on. And then um, she actually joined, um, she got involved in like environmental work in high school because like she started to read and she found out that like in LA, like black residents are as twice as likely to die as other uh, residents like during a heat wave that happened in um, LA. Mm -hmm. And it's also because of, again, that's because of segregation and lower um, likelihood of having access to, like, AC. Yeah. And then there was, of course, the 2018 report from the EPA that said that, you know, people of color, communities of color are much more likely um, to be affected by environmental pollutants. Right? And so it's because of all this where she was like, you know, before all of this, I was thinking that this was just, like, a quote-unquote, like, white issue. Mm -hmm, and so she mm -hmm. was like, because... You know, around, like, Black Lives Matter and police brutality, like, that was seen as a black issue. But, like, once she started to learn, you know, about how, like, communities of color were disproportionately affected by, like, again, this, like, crisis of, like, you know, in climate and, like, environmental degradation, that's when, like, she started to, like, organize around these issues. Yes. And so it was earlier this year in 2019, actually, where she started the U.S. Youth Climate Strike. And so she started, she was the co-founder of that with a 12-year-old. Oh, <laughs> so I mean, the, the kids are truly all right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, <laughs> one of the things that they were trying to do with the U.S. Youth Climate Strike is to get every presidential candidate to agree to attend um, a climate debate. Oh, my gosh. And, I mean, again, these are, um, these are babies, right? And so that's, you know, so that's Isra Hersey. And then there was, um, so there's another young woman of color named uh, Jamie Margoline. And so she was the founder of this organization that she, she founded it in 2017, and it's called Zero Hour. And so Zero Hour is led by high school students, and it's led entirely by women of color. I've actually heard of it. And so they've organized the first... They organized the first ever youth climate march in D.C. and 25 other cities around the country. They also organized a youth climate lobby day on Capitol Hill and in like uh, municipal governments. And so she says this. It's like, we tackle climate change from an intersectional lens. And we believe that the people who feel the worst effects of an issue are the experts and must be at the forefront of that issue's solutions. Um, there was another student, um, Zai Bastida. Uh, she's also a 17-year-old indigenous climate activist, also a member of NYC Youth Climate Strike. So she's on the core committee. And so she's from, uh, she spent most of her life in San Pedro, uh, 
Tultepec, Mexico. And so she was, um, and, and there's an interview in Teen Vogue where they talked to her. And so she said that back in Mexico, she saw all of this flooding that was happening in her hometown. Mm-hmm. So she was like, oh, like, I just thought that that was kind of like a one-off thing. And she's like, now I realize that, like, the flooding that I'm seeing regularly occurring in my community back in Mexico is, like, a result of, like, a climate crisis. Wow. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so then um, there was an article from this online outlet called The Verge. And I thought it was really great. I'm just going to read some of the snippets of here, again, from other young people of color. So they had, um, they interviewed, they talked to um, a young kid named uh, Felaquan Charlemagne, who's 17. And, um, and so they asked, like, how is climate change affecting your home and daily life? And Felaquan says, I was born on a small island in the Caribbean called St. Thomas. Throughout my entire life, my island and its economy have been further destabilized by climate change and disasters yeah. caused by it. This is what we mean when we say that climate change isn't just a singular issue, right. but an existential threat that is at the intersection of nearly every issue. Come on, baby. You know, it's 17. Yeah. Yeah. And then they also interviewed um, a, another young indigenous uh, student, uh, Takata Iron Eyes. And I loved what Takata says. And so they say, I'm going to the climate strike to represent the indigenous women and girls all across the globe whose voices are not heard. There are indigenous people all over the globe who have been saying these things for millennia, Mm. millennia, thousands of years. Mm. (laughs) Um, It's just that for them, it's much more dangerous because they may come from places where speaking out might be illegal or Mm -hmm. taboo. Mm -hmm. It creates a lot of violence for them. And so for me, it's an obligation and an opportunity to be that voice for those who need it the most. And also because as a 16-year-old, I want a childhood again. Why should I have to worry about building another future when I should have so much of my own to still look forward oh. to? You know? Oh, my gosh. And so, um, and it's just, it's so interesting to, like, because one of the, another question that they asked um, the, these uh, young folks of color is, like, what do they think that the solutions should be? And it's like... I think it was really interesting because, um, like, Felaquan, one of the things that he was saying is that these solutions need to hold those at the top responsible for Mm -hmm. what they've caused Mm -hmm. and invest in the working classes of the world. I mean, that sounds like communism to me. You're on the right track, Felaquan. Thank you. (laughs) And then... um, and um, Takata Ironize says, you know, right now we're all playing into a system that doesn't do any good for any of us. And so I feel like just like these like little snippets from these mm-hmm. young folks is like they're thinking like systemically. Right, right. Right. They're not just saying, oh, like, you know, and even just those two examples, like they're not saying, oh, we need to recycle. Or, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, we need to like you know, this have personal recycled. responsibility. Yeah, like, we don't yeah. need to have like paper straws. Like they're they're gesturing towards thinking about systemic solutions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so um, there's an organization uh, that's called the Red Nation, and so I'm really excited about this group. And so it's the Red Nation is basically a revolutionary socialist indigenous group. And they're they're really trying to propose anti-capitalist, like decolonized, like approaches to thinking and addressing the climate crisis. Mm-hmm. And so I like again I was like I've mentioned the um, Zai Bastida and then Takata Ironize, and it just made me think about one of the things that I saw on the Red Nation their website. And so they were saying that like native youth and native poor and homeless. 
um, and Native homeless folks experience higher rates of violence um, than any classes or groups of um, Native people. Mm-hmm. So again, so again, you know, Greta, do your thing. It's important, but it's also it's, again, it's also important that we hear from not just hear from and include. Um, you know, young people of color, young indigenous folks, but um, it's important for us to hear from folks who aren't like young white folks from Sweden. And I, yeah. Lord knows I don't mean any shade um, to Greta, but this is just some of the things that I didn't know. So like native youth, um, they comprise as much as 70% of the native population in some places. So, oh, wow. I mean, talk about, I mean, that's a huge, that's yeah. almost like a Almost most of the population, mm-hmm. right? And so they experience higher rates of physical and sexual violence and post-traumatic stress disorder um, higher than other groups. Yeah. They experience higher rates of criminalization and violence yep. than yep. other groups. Mm-hmm. And um, because many Native youth and Native homeless and uh, poor folks live off of reservations, they are treated as inauthentic and, um, and without rights. And so it's like, this is why we need to be hearing from, like, young indigenous folks. Right, right, yeah. Right, in this, like, in this climate strike. Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, again, there was all of this focus on, um, like, Greta. But, I like, I didn't see as much stuff about, again, like, the young folks like Zai and, mm-hmm. like, um, I- Isra and, like, Jamie Margolin. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to, like, take a second to just highlight those voices yeah. because, again, kind of to what, not kind of, but, like, exactly to what Isra said. It's, like, there's just a lot of sort of individualist sort of, like, personal, like you said, personal responsibility mm-hmm. sort of, like, kind of, like, white liberal nonsense Yeah, that I what? think people get that people think is the only way to do, like, environmental mm-hmm. work and environmental yeah. justice, but... I was going to ask you, you... I mean, this is a big question, kind of, but, like, why do you think that is? Like, why is why is um, environmental justice movements uh, so white in, like, mainstream coverage? Yeah. And why do people immediately go to these, oh, like, unplug your appliances yeah. when you're, you know, it's like, why is that the... Um, okay, I think that is a good question. And so I think kind of one of the, I think there's a lot of different reasons for that. But so many things in society, of course, go back to resources. Mm-hmm. And it's like a lot of the bigger NGOs mm-hmm. that do environmental work, that's their approach. And because they have the the, you know, because they have more resources, they have the broader visibility. Right, right. So right. you have like, because I remember grow, growing up hearing about Greenpeace and Save the Whales. And I'm just like, you know, I think, you know, I don't, I, you know, I don't want the whales to die, but what, mm-hmm. that don't have nothing to do with my immediate The whales, everyday, like the animals? Yeah, the oh, whales. Okay. Like yeah, that yeah, don't yeah. got nothing to do with my immediate everyday experience. Exactly. And so it's like, right. I think it's that. And um, also, so I think, it's not just the environment where the ideas about just like your individual action kind uh-huh. of abound. That's like a, that idea is ubiquitous in society. So mm-hmm. it's not a coincidence that, you know, people think, oh, if I just use a particular kind of light bulb or if I recycle, and you should do those things. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think there's a problem with doing that, but um, it's naive to think that that is in and of itself enough. And, like, that's palatable, right? So, like, a cor- right, like corporations... Right. Uh-huh. I mean, so there's... I mean, we've talked about... Pen- we've talked about pinkwashing. There's also a thing called greenwashing, Green right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it's like, a corporation doesn't have to fundamentally do anything right, different. Right, right. To be like, I'm gonna go print... 
I'm gonna go plant some trees yeah. in a neighborhood, yeah. right? But or when you all of our awful shit is BPA free, right? Uh, yeah. so, or we use recycled paper. Yeah, you know, and it's like you don't. Act, it doesn't actually require much, right? And so, the society, people in power, elites don't want people to come to like radical conclusions mm-hmm. that like, you know, um, going back to like you know the Red Nation. So it's not just about. Um, capitalism but it's like colonization yes you know like the the military is the number the, one the number one polluter, polluter right, right exactly is the pentagon right. and it's like it's easier for the people in power if it's it makes sense that people in power don't want us coming to radical conclusions about what we have to do for climate change right, right so like right. one of the like one of the old slogans that i um came up with when i was doing like environmental work um, that like that was a common refrain was like system change, not climate change. Meaning the mm. system of capitalism is that's what needs mm-hmm. um, to be changed, right? Mm. And so, um, and I also think there's there's some things of kind of about how actual environmentalists have approached the question. So like you think about kind of like the old school '70s model of like conservation. It's like where we're going to protect. Yeah, you know we're going to go you know protect these. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. these trees or mm-hmm. something and then there's like or it's like middle class you like liberals or middle class whites are like we want to protect our places of leisure do you know what i mean uh, so it's okay. like so there so the analysis has not always been a part like radical radical analysis has not right, always right. been a part of yeah yeah or i would say not it's not that it hasn't been a part of but it's not the the radical analysis was not the main sort of idea selling point right yeah within the movement right, right? right. And i think i think right. since i i think in the last decade i think that that has definitely um grown and it, it mm-hmm. like grown and become like i think there's like a sizable wing of like the environmental movement or like the movement against climate change that has been like okay we have to come to like more radical conclusions it's not just about protecting like a playground or like a back, like some kind of, I guess some kind of like leisure <laughs> yeah, space yeah. for like yeah, yeah. white middle class folks right, in like right, the right. suburbs. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's like a mm-hmm. piece of it. Yeah. Um, just, I, just, I kind of want to close out by highlighting these four principles from, um, of the red deal. And I don't have time to get into that, but I know we talked about the, like the green new deal. And I just really appreciate again, what like radical indigenous folks have been like, that they, the four core principles of what they think needs to be incorporated into a red deal. And so the first point is what creates crisis cannot solve it. And so here they're basically talking about, we all hear about the terms like, um, like divesting from like fossil fuel industry and divesting from like pipelines and all that kind of stuff. But they're saying like, we need to go further and also divest away from criminalizing and caging and harming of human beings. And they said that they're, they specifically say that they're drawing from like the black abolitionist and like radical um, tradition. So mm-hmm. basically the way that I understand that is like colonialism and capitalism have created the crisis and we can't rely on those tools or those vestig- vestiges to get us out of the, right, the right. crisis, mm-hmm. right? And so the second point is change from below and to the left. And something that I've heard um, Nick Estes, who is a member of Red Nation, and uh, he's done a lot of really good interviews talking about like their philosophy and their political principles. One of the things that he said that I didn't even think about is like we, it's like mass movements from below. Like we love Ilhan Omar and we love Alexandria Ocasio uh, 
Cortez, but it's like we can't mainly rely on right. these politicians. Right. But one of the things that he said about AOC is that people forget that her campaign really got kicked off at the um, at the Standing Rock, yeah, and at yeah. The, the, the Dakota Access Pipeline. Right. So he was like, you know, she was a water protector, and mm-hmm. he was like, it's it's because of that groundswell of the moment that right. that was it was in that milieu that she like kicked off. Yep. Um, her campaign, and it's like, but most importantly, it's like we also just can't rely on, you know, individuals well, to yeah, like yeah. get us out of the mm-hmm. um, mess. So they say our leverage is people. Leverage comes from a movement behind you. Only when people move do we build enough power to force concessions and eventually win. And the, the third principle is politicians can't do what only mass movements do. And I think that those two mm. are related, right? Yeah. So it's like, uh, it's one of the things that they ask for. Uh, one of the things that they're saying is that we need to be calling for, um, like, what we would call a non-reformist reform. So it's like, not about, to give like a basic example, one of the things that they use is like, it's not about, of course, like, how do we... Um, reform you know police and military like and border patrol and that kind of thing but it's like how instead can we actually provide homes and health care like for people how can Uh, how can we get away Uh from like making sure that people don't have poison water in like more cages right and so it's like it's like i to be more concrete, a non-reformist reform is like not trying to do like a cultural sensitivity training with the police but it's like how to make how to make it so that police aren't doing, like, cutting back on what it is that they actually do in society. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Right? So, like, one of the common examples is, like, mental health crisis. Mm-hmm. Right? That's not something that they should be they doing. They should be intervening They don't need to be it. trained on how to do it. They just don't need to be doing exactly. it. Exactly. And so, and like, one of the things that um, they say is that, like, um, one of the things I've heard that, um, like, Nick Estes says, like, we need to divest from all of those. Like, we need mass movements to call for divesting from all of those, you know, not just, like, polluting and, like, criminalizing and caging, mm-hmm. um, like, agents and, like, corporations inside it, but we need to be investing in, like, a care economy, right? Something that actually protects and sustains mm-hmm. life. So mm-hmm. he was like, that's, he's like, there's also, like, a gender component to that. Because what are those? I was just nurses, about to say. Yep. teachers, mm-hmm. and, like, those are the things that we need to be. Doulas, um, midwives, exactly. therapists. <laughs> and so, and this, the last principle is from theory, you know, to action. So it's like, of course, yeah. we have to struggle for these reforms to restore the health of our bodies and the earth. And yeah, so it's like, we need to be struggling. Like we, we can't just like talk and just have these high minded ideas, right? We actually need to be like building, fighting and building um, the world and the communities that we want to live that in. we want to live in. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, we will fight for the redistribution of wealth stolen from us, whether it's land, water, air, or labor. And I just, I just wow. thought that that was, um, I don't feel like I'm, like, doing it, like, totally justice, but I just thought that that was, like, a good way to kind of, as, like, foreground, Mm -hmm. like, what it would mean to actually include um, and learn from uh, black and, you know, other people of color and indigenous folks. Mm -hmm. So it's not just saying, I think the point that I'm really trying to stress is, like, it's not just, like, oh, oh, look, like, people of color um, and indigenous folks are in environmental like movements, but it's like actually when we include them, we fundamentally change our analysis. Yes, I think that's that's the point that I'm getting at. Yeah, and that's I think that's what's like important to think about and to take away from like the climate strike. I mean, I feel like this every time you do a word, but like I'm really serious. It's like when I hear you say it, it it feels like 
oh, I can do this. Like, it, it, we can do this. Right. Like, it, it, the the revolution isn't a theory. It's right. like a, right. a, a, an accomplishable thing. Right. Um. Yeah. Like the red deal that you just laid out. Mm-hmm. It's like, why can't we do that? Yes. Right. Exactly. They got power, but we got people and people are power. So. Nailed it. So let's go save the environment, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we are going to move it on along to our topic segment. And our topic segment is just the segment where we talk about things that don't fit into the other segment. You have to stop doing that to the topic segment. What you is it be then? disrespecting it. What is it then? What? What's the topic segment? The topic segment is a segment where we... Talk about things that don't fit. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So this topic is actually inspired uh, by the bag ladies, the homies, the BBB members. Um, so they do like a rotating theme on their podcast. And the last one, um, they talked about if they could make a telenovela. Um, what would their telenovela be about? And and they're always so epic. I mean, Stephanie is hilarious. Absolutely. Lena is like creative oh as God. fuck and also a Virgo, so you know supremacy. <laughs> um, um, and so I was like, oh my gosh, this is such a fun um idea and a topic. So I want to riff off of their rotating theme and ask you, Nikita Alize, if you could create your own queer Netflix series. Let's say Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, what would it be? I just I just finished bumping my gums about the environment. You you kick us off. Tell me what your what your show would be. Oh my gosh. Okay, so I have two ideas. Okay. All right. So the first one um, is kind of probably predictable because uh, I loved Moesha growing up. Of course you did. <laughs> Moesha Denise Mitchell, Montanese Denise McGee. I was. She was I, and I was her. Anyway. <laughs> oh my god. I would love to see. You know what? It could even be a spinoff, a Moesha spinoff, where Brandy is the mama of this, like, queer team. Oh. Yeah, and I want it to be just like Moesha, where, like, the biggest uh, problem in this queer teenager's life is, like, that they got a hoopty that needs repair. So, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. there were never any, like, huge dramatic ass, like, you know... Um, things that Moesha had to deal mm-hmm. with. It was literally like the over... What happens as a teenager, you know? Yeah. It's just like the little thing happens and your world is in shambles. Absolutely. I want that. I want like this ragtag group of queer teens that are um, friends who hang out at a, a like a bookstore slash coffee shop mm-hmm. that's owned by old black lesbians. Oh my you god, know? yeah. <laughs> I want like guest appearances by... Um, you know, lesbian luminaries like Charlene Carruthers and Alexis Pauline Gums and like Raquel Willis. You know, oh I, just, I just want a queer Moesha. I like that. <laughs> okay, and my second idea of a queer web series, okay? This one is a little out there, so follow me, follow me. There's this queer teen that finds this like poetry book, you know, and is inspired to write poetry. Mm-hmm. But um, the book that they're writing in, or maybe the pen that they write with, has, like, magical powers. And all the poems that they write, like, come true. So, like, this show would be, like, kind of um, supernatural. Uh-huh. 
But then, like, also introducing us to, like, poetry by queer and, queer and trans folks of color. Because, mm. like, they're reading this anthology yeah. of poetry. Um, this is this is my, like, sneaky-ass way of getting, you know, my favorite poets out there, like June Jordan. I must say get June Jordan on the, <laughs> on the little screen. Yeah, I hear you. I see yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, because it's like, you know, I didn't find out about these people until I was a grown sure, yeah. woman, you know? So I'm like, I think it would be really cool to be introduced to their poetry, um, their written works in general, like, as a kid. And, you know, um, coming of age and young adult stuff is, like, my favorite genres. And so yeah. they will both be young adult. Yeah, so one, a sitcom, Queer Moesha, and the other mm-hmm. one around this little writer who is writing poetry that comes to life. Wow. So the so each episode would, like, start with a poem by, like, a queer trans poet. And then it would end with, like, their poem, like, coming yeah. true. Wow. I'm really thinking about that. Because I imagine in that, like, the pilot episode of the poetry one, they would, the little main character would write a poem. And they wouldn't know that it had They the wouldn't capacity. know. Yeah. They, they wouldn't figure it out until, like, late in the season. Oh, like, like, I didn't oh even think about God. that. Yeah. Because I was w- thinking about it the other way. Like, the... the the inaugural, the pilot episode would be the one where they would be like, oh, shit, I just, something just came to life. Uh-uh, no. I want them to, I want them to discover their power. Because that's what happens Ooh. when you read these poets wow. anyway. This you know? is, wow, bitch. I know, it would be a good-ass so, series. Alita, as in Waif, <laughs> get, get her. <laughs> you know, cut me the check right. and we could get to filming. All copyrighted yeah. ideas and content will be sent to... All royalty checks need to be sent to Nikita. 20%. Shut up, Nikita. <laughs> okay. Do you have any ideas of what your queer web series is? Yeah, I mean, you know, some of us are just who we are. You know, you can't, you just can't outrun okay. <laughs> who you are. So, I would do, um, it would absolutely be a period piece. Uh-huh. In the <laughs> 20s. Okay. Just, I mean, for the aesthetics alone. Come on, Nucky. Side note. The reason I feel like the reason why black folks, uh, especially like black and queer folks, don't get to do these kinds of shows is because like those budgets for those kind of shows are astronomical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it would be some. It would be like a twenties, like Harlem Renaissance, or it'd be like twenties or thirties, maybe like Great Depression era. Mm. Ooh, here we go. Mm-hmm. And it would be. You know, about some ragtag, both of us love ragtag, like, yeah. like a ragtag group of like black queer folks who are like, um, so I, I remember I put up a status a long time ago. I was like, I want to do, I, I was like, I, we need like a black queer period piece. And one of my friends, Monique, had a really good idea where it was like, it wouldn't be like, you know, it would be too on the nose if it was like, Langston and all them, but Uh it would be people who were on the periphery of those people. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. And so I feel like we would, and of course, I have to seep my black radicalism into it. So I'm thinking like 20s, 30s, Great Depression, Mm -hmm. because it would be like, and I just imagine like the final scene like of the series where it would be like on the precipice or like on the verge of some like mass uprising that would be like rooted in like some kind of actual historical thing. Uh But it would just be about broadly about like working class black queer folks, you know, trying to live and make a way in impeccable outfits, mind you. (laughs) 
like you know in the 20s era yeah in the 20s era 20s or 30s okay all right you know and then there would be like somebody would they would meet like an organizer from like the communist party and then the group would be torn <laughs> they're like this, this shit is too radical right right mm-hmm. you're shaking the table they're like vernon <laughs> vernon what is wrong with you <laughs> and then sheila would be like look vernon I like that you already have character names. She would be like, look, Vernon. <laughs> you know, I've tried to go to the Urban League. <laughs> but it, it, when I was about to get evicted, it was the Communist Party that was on my front door that saved me and my family from eviction. Okay. So it would be, it would be a communist uh, like, uh, but, right. uh, show. It, but I mean, in the background. Be, it wouldn't be, yeah. You have a, we, I mean, you wouldn't <laughs> be beat over the head with a message. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You would be beat over the head with the fashion and like the... Right, 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 right. And so, yeah, and it would just... And then, of course, they would get involved and then there would be all... And, you know, they would all get involved in some kind of organizing and then there would be like these vociferous, drag down, knockout fights over like which political group to join. And of course, of course, it would not be a good drama if there was not some kind of backstabbing. Oh my God, I'm so excited. <laughs> oh some kind God. of like political or social betrayal. Oh my God, it's so good. So, so th- would there be any like romantic tensions? Martinique, is water wet? <laughs> of course. I'm like, okay. You, you know. know, and I imagine, again, it's like the 20s. And so, again, like it's going to be those people who we know in like the background. So like they'll go to like a Ma Rainey performance yes yeah, yeah and then yeah. you know you know the young uh it'll, it'll probably be some like young black oh i got it it'll be some young black queer uh who doesn't know that they're queer mm-hmm. they have come up from the south and they're experiencing the big wide city for the first time mm-hmm. and they're like oh wow i'm going to go see this butch lesbian sing on the mic and all these tensions are raging inside of me and the political tensions are raging on the outside world and i don't know oh, what to gosh. do with all these feelings <laughs> oh my god this is going to be a winner oh this is so thank good. you it's so good <laughs> stay in your seat Nikita. I should do a I radio do like, show. I do like the idea of a, a queer black period piece. You're right. I just, I, we just we need period pieces. We need pieces. one. We need, yeah, we need yeah. more folk of color period pieces. Generally. Damn it. I don't know why I didn't think about... Um, ever since Game of Thrones ended, I'm like, what about this like excites me? And it's the period. I, I, yeah, I just yeah. live, and it's the I fantasy. live for period pieces. Yeah, imagine. Or we could scoot it up to the 40s. Oh gosh, Nikita! I'm just saying we could that would be season two. See, oh, season two, and then <laughs> again there would be guest appearances because some people, because you know they're dealing and like getting enmeshed and involved in the radicalism here, and then they meet. Oh my God, <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna be they're gonna go to a rally, and it's gonna be who other than uh, Claudia Jones speaking? <laughs> Nikita, just and, they're gonna, and it's gonna span, and because Claudia Jones is from the Caribbean and she was deported, it would span across the Black diaspora. This is a good show, <laughs> Nikita. This is a good you show. want a show of your past life. This- <laughs> I'm just saying, that would be good. And there's some shows that I feel like if they would have been made now, they would have been more Better. queer. Or more queer. Like, mm-hmm. I, like one of my, you were mentioning sitcoms. It's so funny because I didn't even think sitcoms. I think it's because dramas are just tend to be my favorite. But like, could you imagine girlfriends in the 21st century? Well, on this side of 2010, rather? Yeah. Yeah, and there would have been more. I think that there would have um, been more queerness in that show. Yeah, I think Lynn would have definitely been uh, I mean, written she's as queer, queer broadly. She, yeah, she was broadly queer, but yeah. like I think she would have been explicitly queer. Yeah, if girlfriends came out today, I just and I just I kind of I didn't realize this, but I just tend to like that genre of sitcom. 
or show. Like, like gal pal? Yeah, I didn't think about that. Mm-hmm. Like girlfriends, golden girls. I love golden girls. Oh, oh that's yeah. what we need. Oh my gosh. Imagine a golden girls of like like that's loosely based on like the kitchen table press. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. That that would be the shit. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Thank okay. you for being a lesbian. <laughs> You would see. Okay, so if y'all like our ideas, or if you or, hate them, or or if you what, or if you hate them, don't shoot down mine. Mine are pretty good. No, yours are good. Hmm. I'm just saying, you know, there's always there's always a hater in the midst. Okay, if you don't if you don't like sitcoms, hmm. I don't know what to tell you. Hmm. Or if you want a queer period piece, just. Uh, use the hashtag QueerWOC and tell us what you think. Or if you have a idea for your own queer series, um, yes. tell us. What would it be? Okay, so we're going to move it on along to our curved, 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 chronicles segment. And the Curved Chronicles segment is where we talk about our dating woes and wins or where we share your stories of dating as a Q-Pac or Q-Wok. And so today we have a submitted Curved Chronicle from Packing Up My Feelings and My Summer Clothes. (laughs) And Nikita's going to read it. You want to read it, Nikita? All right. Want to hear about it? Here it go. Mm -hmm. I was on OkCupid at the end of last semester when I got a message from this stunning woman inquiring (laughs) about my taste in podcasts. Hopefully Mm. you recommended Queer One. (laughs) So out the gate, we are doing really well in terms of online dating profile exchanges. We get in the reply rhythm as you do on the apps and eventually make plans to meet up. Our first date was in Brooklyn. The best first date I have been on in six years. Wow. We talked for like six hours in the corner of some bar. We aligned in so many ways, including both being polyamorous and being in committed relationships, having creative projects, but building our careers in STEM, because bills and student loans, (laughs) being super into board games and generally nerdy shit like Magic the Gathering and discrete mathematics. What in the fuck is a discrete mathematic? (laughs) So conversation, 10 out of 10. Vibe, 10 out of 10. Chemistry, 10 out of 10. I head back upstate and we get into the long distance rhythm and plan our next meetup. Texting intermittently throughout the week, sharing news articles, podcast episodes, songs, etc. When I'm back in the city, we meet up again for a breakfast date and spend the morning together. 10 out of 10. We've got inside jokes. We play board games, go for long walks in the park, etc. <laughs> really <Wow>. excellent. <laughs> Our third date was about 10 hours long. Okay. We went on an NYC adventure that included a nap in the park, a museum, and randomly coming across some illegal fireworks at sunset. <laughs> it was basically some kind of queer walk indie movie. Sounds like Very it. This, this sounds like the yeah. um, queer walk uh, web series I want to see. It does. It does. <laughs> I will be sure to credit you appropriately. So, in the letter, warning, colon, curve ahead. Uh Uh-oh. We get back in our text rhythm when I get back home, and one day I receive a text that says, it's been great getting to know me, but distance is too much right now, and she needs to focus on things around her. Curved. 
What? My response text was that while it hurt to hear, distance is something that I can't change at the moment. I really enjoyed getting to know her as well, and I hope we can reconnect when I move back downstate after grad school. I didn't receive a response to this, but I wasn't expecting to. What? To say I was devastated was an understatement. I was dumped on the last day of classes, so I needed to suppress my feelings and power through my finals. I started to process the ending of this two-month relationship in the beginning of what was supposed to be my hot girl summer. Oh, no! Luckily, my partner encouraged this relationship because of how happy it made me. It was there to support me when it ended. Even with an amazing partner, heartbreak is still heartbreak. Mm -hmm. Here's my question. Did I get curved or am I on pause and is there a difference? The insight my partner gave me was that the person I was seeing might have started to develop the same feelings I was feeling, but they did not want a long-distance relationship. For a while, I wasn't sure if I could trust my memories. Was I delusional? Did I build this relationship up in my head? As part of the healing process, I'm recalling the acts of reciprocation that were shown, learning to trust myself again, and moving to the acceptance phase of my grief. Oh my God. What do y'all think? Is there a chance to revisit this in the future? Should I just move on? I am trying. Did I get curved or am I on pause? Sign, packing up my feelings and my summer clothes. What you think, money? Child. Ain't no such thing as being on pause. Yeah, that, yeah, that's kind of what I, yeah, yeah, that's what I was Um, thinking. Yeah, nah. This is a, I've been in, in these situations where you've been like really in it for two months and then suddenly it's just like nothing. Ice. Yeah, iced. Yeah. The reason, I don't think there's a difference between, I, Okay, when I say I don't think there's any such thing as um, being on pause is because you're not a consideration or a priority to that person. So that's a curve to me. Like to not respond to your text at all after a a 10 hour date like that. And in real life, upstate to the city. That's that's distance, but that's not, like, overcomable distance. I mean, maybe for the other person it was. That's certainly not I don't text you back distance. Mm-hmm. That, y'all might bump into each other. You know, it's like, that's not that's not cut off distance. What do you mean cut off distance? Oh, like, oh, you're oh. in Seattle, I'm yeah, in New yeah, York, yeah, and yeah, we, yeah. like, we ain't never gonna, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know... I, this will never have to become a conversation again about, hey, why didn't you text me back? Yeah. <laughs> like, it just seems, it's distant four hours, but it's like, it's too close to not respond, especially after we've had these amazing right. dates together. Um, I think you're on the right track as far as like, um, like trying to move on from it, because this doesn't sound like, I mean, okay, all right. I'm trying, I'm going to flip it, right? So, best case scenario, this is a pause. And this person is going to circle back like, hey, stranger. Yeah. You're going to get a hey, stranger text. Would you want to reconnect with that person? Yeah. Like, after this? Like, I know I wouldn't. Yeah. Um, but I am also a Virgo. I think you're a Virgo, too, though. Um, So, I'm, like, pretty well, all or nothing a little mm-hmm. bit. You know, I'm working on it, but I am. <laughs> and so, I'm going to be like, bitch, you didn't text me back. And... <laughs> Um, you know, we had this incredible chemistry, yeah. you know, 
we were joking about all these like inside things and then it, it feels like um like just an emotional icing and I wouldn't be able to recover from that because it it's a relational injury and so I would feel like when is the next time are you gonna drop off the face of the planet and right, I'm gonna stop hearing right, from you. Right. So yeah. Yeah, I feel like I mostly I think I agree with everything that you said. I just I feel like my read of this is that something else Seems like something might have happened, but um, I don't think it's actually worth your time trying to figure out what it was. Try to discern mm-hmm. what it is or what it was. Um, I'm glad that you said that you are like trying to think back on the moments of reciprocation because I don't think that it was all in your head. I think that seems clear from the letter. I, you don't spend ten like, hours. A lot, you don't spend this much time with somebody. You don't go to sleep like, in a park with somebody. Nah, yeah. Yeah. To yeah. just be like, oh, you've made something up. Right. It seems like there absolute it seems like there absolutely was something there between you all. And for whatever reason, like that's just not the case anymore. Mm-hmm. And um Yeah, I just don't think you can waste time waiting around for anybody for any reason. Life is too short. Honestly. It's just it's not worth it, and um, it does seem kind of bizarre. Not kind of, it is bizarre that they didn't, um, like, like, respond to you. So it just seems like there's something else that's going on, or there's something afoot, and like I said, I just don't think that you can waste your time trying to make sense of it or mull it over. Um, yeah, you didn't make it up, and, you know, they're they're going to have to figure out whatever they need to figure out, and I think you just have to... It's painful, like mm-hmm. you have said, but I think you just have to keep trudging forward that's i think it's it's easier said than done but that's just kind of how i feel about it yeah i mean um i've i've recently experienced like a, a quick switch like this in a situationship as well and i think i think going back over the rhythms that y'all were in and all that stuff i hope that that normalizes in some way that you didn't just build it up in your head Yeah, absolutely because that's you know that's what i was feeling after my situation ended too i was like was i crazy right. like like was i like really right. making this up and it's like no you weren't there was chemistry there um and i think it's important to acknowledge that because a lot of time when ghosting happens like we we feel the only word i can think of is gaslit about mm-hmm. like how to tell if somebody is into us yeah because they just fall off the face of the planet yeah. right but you have to you have to remember that no, you can tell when somebody is into you, and that's what this was. And maybe the reason why they went away has nothing to do with you. Yeah, but it has it, it has a it, it had a personal impact, impact right? So yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it sucks when somebody switches up out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be easier if people would just be say honest. it. Yeah, yeah. Like this is this is what I'm experiencing. This is why I'm a step back. Yeah, like that would be so helpful. Yeah, but I just think. I don't want to say it's generational because I know this has been happening for as long as relationships have been happening, but I just think we have more gadgets at our disposal that make it easier to just stop talking to somebody. To stop responding yep. to people, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think, though, the whole thing about asking, because it's like, usually for me, I think we've said this before, um, in regards to another letter, it's like, once you start asking certain questions, you kind of already know the answer. So when you're asking, like, did I get curved or am I on pause? The the when you're asking, am I on pause? To me, that feels like hopeful. Yeah. If you want them 
to come back. And I feel like you just have to acknowledge, you just have to be honest with yourself about the fact that that is a desire that you have. I don't think you should linger there, but I, I don't think that you can like ignore that. That's really important. You better go ahead. You, you know what I mean? Because it's mm-hmm. like, because like, why, like you're, like it doesn't actually, and you know, there's not, you know, there's not a difference. Otherwise the reality is you wouldn't have asked. Right, right. But there is that hopeful part of you. And I don't think you should beat yourself up. About having About it. that. Like that's, right. I think that that's a normal, mm-hmm. um, that feels, that doesn't feel like an irrational or unreasonable response to everything that you were experiencing. Right, right. So I, I just kind of wanted to say that. Yeah. Like last bit in there. It's so important because. One, you recognize that you are a hopeful person. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can look forward to things. Um, and it's, like, it's not just the, like, pain of memory, right? Like, there were good parts. Yeah. If there weren't good parts, you wouldn't have been in it for two months, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the reason why I also say that is as important is because, like, you talked about, like, this was supposed to be the start of your hot girl summer. Like, hot girl summer is not, like, emotional detachment summer. Mm. It's like, you still gonna be feeling and experiencing yeah. shit. And I think a big part of hot girl summer is that hopefulness. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm... The next thing is going to come along. The next person is going to yeah. be there. I will experience love again. And yeah. that's that's part of what's what's in the, like, pause. Yeah. But again, I would say, do you really want to talk to somebody who put you on pause? Right. Nah. Or who just couldn't say, like, this yeah. is, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe, maybe it was, like, the distance thing. But, mm-hmm. like, if they're not just like, look, I can't, like, I'm not going to do this because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. But, yeah, you, you can't sit around waiting on that. You better not put me on pause. You better play me all the way through. No skips. Like a Queer Walk Patreon playlist, okay? Okay, wow. (laughs) That that was such a niche analogy right there. Wow. No skips. Okay. Oh, my gosh. So, packing up my feelings in my summer clothes, I hope anything we said helped or, um, like, answered some of those questions. I am really sorry that this happened, yeah. you know. I, too, have experienced a flip of a switch. And so, you know, I stand with you and flip switch solidarity. Right. <laughs> um, well, go ahead, and, go ahead and get your little fly autumn outfits. Oh, you know, fall. Get your vegan. awestruck Ooh. autumnal going on. Oh, my gosh, Nikita. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Breezy bad bitch fall. I mean, I don't know. Just make it make it work. <laughs> make it work. Uh, so if y'all have curved chronicles again, you can submit them at queerwalkpod at gmail dot com. Um, and yeah, thank you again. Packing up my feelings in my summer clothes for submitting yours yeah. and trusting us with it. Yeah, truly. Kinda, ugh, heartbreak is hard. It's hard. So, yeah. yeah. I'm really happy that you have a partner that's supporting you through. Me it too. I was I was thinking that. The, yeah, the worst thing to do is to like go through these things um, by yourself. By yourself alone. Yeah, mm-hmm. you need you need somebody to talk this shit yeah. out with. So, all right, Nikita, um, is that a show? I think it's a full episode of Queer Walk the Podcast. Alrighty. So, um, again, you can find us on all the things at Queer Walk Pod. Use the hashtag Queer Walk or Queer Walk Pod. Um, and this is money, the menstruating mess. And this is still... Actually, I feel like after the episode, I feel half full. Okay. Come on, half tank Nikita. Nikita. Oh, that sounds lewd. (laughs) You think everything sounds lewd. Half tank Nikita. Well, vroom, vroom. (laughs) (laughs) And this has been Queer Walk the Podcast.